This is Sean Mandoli, and you're listening to the Hopeland Church Podcast. I hope you encounter God and walk in new levels of freedom as a result of listening to this message. Enjoy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It all depends on when you're jumping on here, uh, but um, it is good to be here. I was going to say good to see everybody, but um, you see me, but I don't necessarily see you. But um, uh, stoked you're here. We're in part two of family. We're going to continue with family, but specifically continue from last week on the family of God and just go a little deeper into what how it looks. I think last week we talked about the family of God and kind of what is it? What what is it by definition? But now we're going to see how does the family of God operate? How does this how how does the family of God actually look? Um and 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 what are the functions of that family and 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 the things that we as a family of God do? And so here we go. Let's do this. All right, so I'm going to pray here, and and then we're going to jump right in today. Um, I hope you enjoyed worship, Um, and um, hey, if you're on here, um, share this with somebody. If this ministers to you, and if it's ministering to you, um, share this with somebody. Um, Send it to somebody, DM it, send the link, whatever whatever it is, whether it's the, um, the actual service, or even if you're listening to this on our podcast, um, yeah, if, if this really does speak to you and you know somebody that would benefit from this, that this would minister to them, um, yeah, please share that with them. Um, so let's pray this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for um, this moment. Um, we thank you for this, this moment, this, this privilege, this opportunity to... Um, receive from your word today. Uh, God, I pray that you, Jesus, would open up our understanding, uh, Lord, so we can so we can see uh, the word, so we can receive something in the spirit from you that would make us stronger in faith. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen, amen. All right, here we go. Here we go. Luke chapter two, verse 49. We're talking about the family of God today. And I am really excited uh, this month um, as you're turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter two, verse 49. uh, My wife and I, Crystal Gale and I are going to be speaking together. We're going to be speaking together um, on the 27th. So um, two weeks from this service today, we're going to be speaking together, but we're going to be speaking specifically about the literal, you know, biological family, the the home, and just really just share some of the things that we um, have learned and are learning, and some of the things we do to um, build and promote healthy marriage, healthy home, health, healthy parenting, all that good stuff. So we are really looking forward to that. Uh, doing that together. So that is coming in a couple weeks. All right, Luke chapter two, verse 49. And he said to them, this is Jesus. Um, why did you seek me? Because he was in the temple hanging out with the, with, with the folks reading the Bible, reading the word of God. 
and um, they were looking for him. He says, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Um, and I'm just kind of continuing even from last week. This is really kind of like specifically part two of the family of God. Um, if we were to subtitle this today, be the family of God. Um, but um, here it is right here. Uh, Jesus is in the temple and he's associated himself with the father, father God, his spiritual father, his 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 God and his father, right? Um, and he's associating that relationship as a, as as um, having some sort of mandate and call. So, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? So, as we dive into this today, and as we kind of unpack the family of God a little bit further, just go a little bit deeper into how we see it working and operating, even in the Book of Acts, that with the family of God. We must not lose sight of the fact that we aren't just some family for the sake of family alone, okay? That we just are um, connected to one another in Christ um, and, and you know, th there it is, right? Um, and uh, But with that comes the call to um, be about the Father's business, that there is this mandate on the family of God in the earth that we have work to do. We have, um, you know, people to minister to and uh, neighborhoods to minister to and cities to, uh, you know, reach out to and, and people to love um, unconditionally. So this thing of the family of God is a, is a mandate, okay? I wanted to start with that because now when we read this, you're gonna see kind of how that looks. What does that mandate really look like? What does the family of God really do for people, right? What does, what does um, Christian community, what does local church community, what does the global church do, really do? What What is that mandate? And I know uh, there's so many uh, elements to this, but we're going to really just uncover uh, just a couple verses in Acts and really talk about that today, okay? So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 41 to 42, just two verses. And this really kind of encapsulates um, what the family of God really looked like from um, antiquity, from the literal early church. We're talking first century now. Um, only now this was happening literally 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. Literally, it's on the day of Pentecost and you see how this family, this new family in the earth, the church was birthed. Um, this is after the death, burial, resurrection and ascension of Christ and he sent the Holy Spirit to the 120 people that were waiting in the upper room. They were tearing and they were waiting to be endued with power from on high. Peter's filled with the Holy Ghost. He stands up and begins to preach. And after this message he preached, the Bible talks specifically and immediately about how this new family is operating, okay? So here we are. Um, Acts 2, verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word. What word? The word that Peter just preached. Were baptized. I love this, those, those, plural, those, 
It's plural, it's people. It's not just one person, but it was a people that received the word of God and were immediately baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Okay, and so, man, this is, there's just so much here. Um, I, I taught a class actually on the book of Acts and I taught a class on the early church um, at, the, at TCMI, um, Teen Challenge Ministry Institute. And literally that, that, that one study on Acts, which is basically a study of the church, of what does the church really look like? And just, um, uh, and th- it, that class was literally based on these two verses. This is how, it looks, the methods might be different, the approach to this might be different, but this is the church in operation, if you will. This is the church as, as she, the bride of Christ, mobilizes, engages on the day-to-day. This is what she looks like. This is the family of God right here. This is the household of faith, right? This is God's people. This is the saints in the earth. Those that are born again, receive the word, they're baptized. What does that tell you? They heard that word, they received it. These people got saved. And what did they do? They get baptized. Now, baptism is a sacrament, it's sacred. There's something about it that is holy and awesome, and we do it today. But to be honest with you, um, it was different culturally and contextually then. They were literally risking their lives to do that. This was like, I am signing up for this and uh, baptism was no joke in the early church, okay? So, so it, it carried more weight, meaning there was more at risk for them, okay? And so this is what happened. They received the word, they're like, look, here's, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I, my life is his and here we go, right? So they get baptized and that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Man, that's an amazing, amazing moment right there. And here it is. Verse 42, we're gonna kind of hang out here for the rest of today in the word, but verse 42, Acts 2, it says, and they, I love that, it's plural, it's speaking of community, it's speaking of a people, they continued steadfastly, okay, and then it's named some things they can continued steadfastly in, all right, so here's, here, here's my first point, folks, is, is they continued steadfastly in these things, okay, so here it is, my first point is this, community is worth fighting for, okay, Community, God's family, is worth fighting for. And, and speaking of the family of God, um, it's, it's, th- th- this is the context. This is how, this was the posture. This was the spirit of these people. That this is something they continued steadfastly in. There, It takes resilience to stay in community. And we're going to talk about this. It takes resilience to engage in the family of God. It takes resilience to continue. It takes resilience to remain. It takes resilience. This is what it is. If you've ever felt any resistance in engaging in God's family, in, in being a part of God's family, in serving and loving the people in God's family, God's people, our last point last week was what? Let's be good to God's people. N- know that, that that's not a strange thing that that resistance might be there at times. It's not a strange thing that maybe you've even been offended or embittered by people in God's family. That is not a strange thing. That is very much a normal thing, meaning that we all experience that. But this is my encouragement to you is to press in to the family of God 
and stay connected to the body, be as the early church was. They continued, continued steadfastly in these things, okay? And so in this verse, I'm gonna read verse 42 again. But, and they continued steadfastly in what? These are the things that make up the family of God. These are the bedrock. These are foundation pieces in the family of God. Okay, so here they are. And they continue steadfastly in what? Apostles' doctrine. Come on, somebody say that with me. Say the apostles' doctrine. Second thing, fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. All right, the next thing, the breaking of bread. Everybody say, everybody say food, okay? Um, and in prayers, everybody say prayers. And so um, these are the things. The, the family of God consists of these elements, okay? The, the, this, this is the family of God in operation. In, 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 in the rhythm of life, this, these things must be an element, must be a piece of how you walk with God, okay? This, this is requisite. These, these are foundational. We, we don't pick and choose which one we like more than the other. And uh, me as a pastor, are there any pastors out there listening to this, we don't have the right to pick and choose which ones we want to kind of focus on more, right? Like, like the, this is Christian community. Right here, okay, this is it. If, if these, any of these are lacking, we need to strengthen those areas. If any of these elements are, are, are missing, then spiritual leaders need to make adjustments and, and make an effort to, because this, this is what and who we are in practice, okay? So here they are, the fam- and I kind of, uh, we're gonna talk about these uh, four things, but the family of God consists of what? Here they are. I'm gonna say them a different way and then we're gonna kind of go through some points here. But the family of God consists of, okay, the first thing here, apostles' doctrine or spiritual authority is there. When you look at Christian community, if you if, if, if Christian community were a box and you open it up, spiritual authority needs to be in there. It's not some loosey-goosey, anything goes, kind of thing, there, there are people called in local church community on different levels or however that community is structured or set up that there is somebody and people responsible. There is authority. There is, that, that, that is a piece, okay? The next thing, fellowship. Like fellowship is in there. We're gonna talk about fellowship. If you open the box, if Christian community, local church community, we're, we're a box. If you open it, spiritual authority needs to be in there. Uh, fellowship needs to be in there. Okay, this is another piece, the third one, which I really love this, that God put this right in the middle of all of these very deep, profound spiritual elements. He also put like the breaking of bread. And we're gonna read another verse where it talks about um, that they ate food with, they, with gladness. So it's like, so in this is number three, this is the way I worded it. The practical things of life are enjoyed. That in Christian community, this is part, and we're gonna talk more about that. Cause it says they broke bread and they ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart. 
And so there is this thing here. Okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And then the last one here, it says prayer, but this is the, the language I'm putting to this is a collective pursuit of God. This, these, this is Christian community right here, folks. Let me, let me say them again. Let me say them again. According to Acts chapter two, verse 42, what does the church look like in practice and function? It's these four things right here. Spiritual authority, fellowship, the practical things of life are enjoyed together. And there is a collective pursuit of God. You could read anywhere in Acts. And because and, and the Acts is, is literally the, the one narrative we have that has been canonized as, as the word of God that tells us how life as a Christ follower in community is done. And you will see these things there. You will see these principles there. And, and, and for you and I to grow and develop, this, this is part, this is what it means to be in Christ and to be baptized into the body and to be a part of the household of faith and the family of God. All right, so, so here's my next point. We're gonna talk about each of these one by one. We're gonna talk about spiritual authority because it says they continued steadfastly in what? the apostles' doctrine. It doesn't just say the word, although yes, the word, but here when it's talking about community, because it talks about a bunch of people that heard the word, accepted Christ, got baptized, and then based on their encounter with God, they began to walk in freedom together, walk with God together, and it says that they were Continuing steadfastly and submitting to the apostles' doctrine, or what is that? That is spiritual authority and the teaching of the word of God from somebody that you can say, that is my pastor. Doesn't mean you don't listen to other pastors. Doesn't even mean you don't, you, you, you aren't a part of the lives of other people outside of that local church, but that these people were like, man, this is who I am listening to this is my church that is my pastor okay and so that that was there so here's the next point spiritual authority is a blessing this is part of the family of god okay and i know when we hear the word authority sometimes it's hard for us to digest i was abused as a child and i understand about the about how authority use their authority to abuse and violate and harm me as a child. So I understand the process of needing to, to be healed from that. And I, I was sharing with some friends on this Bible study. I got uh, some friends in the skateboard industry and we come from the skateboard industry and the world of skateboarding. And I teach once a month at a Bible study that's kind of this gathering of skaters and those in the industry and or just, you know, it's just a community of people that are kind of involved in that world. And I was sharing with them about just uh, the blessing of having pastors in my journey and just that authority, being under that authority, just, man, and that, that, that covering and that prayer. And it's been a blessing to my life. And I, I, I mentioned to them, I said, look, the, the abuse of authority does not um, take away the need for authority. Okay, somebody might abuse it, 
But just because somebody abused it doesn't mean I don't need it. Amen. And just because somebody um, there is an abuse of power or authority, that doesn't mean that authority itself doesn't mean it's not of God. Authority is of God. And the devil, uh, you know, um, twists it to harm people, but God uses it to bless people. The purpose of authority in the kingdom and in the house of God is to bless. That's, that's why authority is there. That's why it's there. It's to be a blessing. It's to be a blessing. At the end of the day, spiritual authority from a biblical perspective is always there to be a blessing to those that are in that community. God uses authority to bless. These people got saved. And what did that authority do at that time? Peter was one of them. So he preached to them, but then they came underneath his teaching. They came underneath. It says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That language is specifying people like they were submitted in a community where the word of God was taught. It's associating the teaching of the word. And it, this isn't the only way God teaches us, but it is a way that God teaches us. And it is through spiritual authority, through those that we say, man, that, that is my pastor, okay? And so some of the language associated with healthy church leadership is this, is covering, affirmation, challenge, Release, activation, and blessing. Once again, guys, spiritual authority is a blessing. Submitting to the word of God through somebody else isn't always easy, but God's intention for it is blessing. I would not be where I'm at if I did not have pastors in my life, especially at the time of when I first got saved. Just that, what I mean by especially then is because I even had friends on this, when I was teaching this Bible study, I was talking just about the blessing of having a pastor and being in community and identifying with that community. And in and, and, and whatever season you're in, like you're in community, you're, you're in the house of God, you, you're, you're, you're a part of the body, you are engaging with the local body. Like we, 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 we need the body. That's how, that's, we're, we're only a piece. We are only a part. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We need each other in the body. And and um, my friend asked me, man, Sean, like we know somewhat about your past um, because after I teach, you know, it's kind of, you got to do a little Q&A. And he's like, dude, you were, we know kind of how you were, how authority treated you as a child. And then you come from the skateboard world, which skateboard world, especially when I was growing up and just the kind of culture I inherited from them and from that world and passed on to those you know, that were around me um, is was just it's rebellious. It's just, that's what it is. Like anti everything, right? Um, against the grain, everything, right? And just rebellious. And so he's like, how, how were you able to just at that age, getting saved even as a teenager and kind of coming underneath your pastors and serving and receiving from them and being blessed by them and sent by them into what you've been called to do. And I'm like, man, that is a good question. And um, I, I would say it's two things. One is I encountered Jesus. And so when we come to Jesus, I mean, uh, the language in scripture that associates salvation, that is associated with salvation is, is very strong. 
if you think about it. Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, I mean, you, and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I mean, the confession of our mouth is very strong and heavy. We're saying Jesus is Lord. We are, we are voicing allegiance to the Lord Jesus. Our confession is we are submitting to the authority of God. I mean, that's what it says. If you confess the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And so I, I believe it was the revelation of Jesus and that, wow, I, I am now under his lordship. But I would say the, uh, and so that started it because then I start to see that how this applies to um, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, as the, as the word says. Um, and, uh, and then my pastors really uh, taught on it. They, they taught on this principle and how God operates in and through authority to bless, to cover, to affirm, to release, to activate, and to send. And I experienced all that. I experienced all that, okay? And so here, I just wanna pull some verses here that, that you see how authority and family are, are one and the same in the kingdom. That they're one and the same. The, the authority in the kingdom of God is not a dictator. It's not a power hungry thing. It's not a domineering thing at all. Because the language of authority in the word of God, when you speak of Christian community, it's directly and it is confirmed multiple times in the scripture, the language of authority in the scripture is associated with the language of family, okay? So let's look at this, all right? So 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verse 10 to 12. And as you're turning there, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, 10 to 12, I'm telling you guys, if you get this, this is a, a biblical principle. This is a kingdom principle. There is power in being connected and a part of community. And when you are, there is a blessing in being connected to some sort of spiritual authority. Okay, this, this, is, this is how God works, how God blesses. It's not always easy. And I've had, I've had my challenging moments of being under authority. But many times, can I be honest? If I'm honest, many times those challenging moments were my own pride, my ego, my rebellion, um, my hurt kind of manifesting, um, my, my fear of submitting to somebody in the Lord. I mean, the Bible speaks of even in the home that there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's authority, that the husband is head of the wife. And that authority is required and responsible to love the wife as Christ loved the church. And there is a responsibility on headship. There is a weight, there is accountability that, you know, pastors will give account to God in eternity for those that were under their care. And, and, and if that doesn't put the fear of God in pastors, um, uh, you know, I, I'm concerned because it should. It should put a concern. It should put 
a, a reverence for God and a, and a weightiness and a carefulness to how we lead and pastor people because we will be accountable. We will be held accountable, okay? But here we go, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, you are witnesses and God also, how de devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. So Paul, um, he was part of starting the church in Thessalonica. He's now writing a letter because he was there and they, the persecution happened and he had to kind of dip out. And so he sent Timothy to see how they were doing. And Timothy came back and told them, told Paul, hey, they're doing great. He, it was a good report of their growth. And so this letter is a result of what Timothy told him, okay? And so uh, justly and blamelessly, we behave ourselves among you who believe. Verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. As a father does his own children. Somebody say family. Verse 12, why? Why was he this way? Why? Verse 12 tells us why. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Okay? Um, fathers are present and engaged for those under their care. So when we start talking about authority in the kingdom, we must immediately and, and communicate what the motive and the heart and the approach is. And it's like a father cares for his children. It is not the same exactly, right? Because that's weird, right? You get what I'm saying? But it is like that. What? How is it like that? That the spiritual authority is present and engaged for those under their care spiritually. Present and engaged. Not aloof, not missing, not absent, not about their own agenda, not trying to build their ministry, not trying to build their following so they can write more books. Nothing wrong with writing books, but that is not what spiritual authority is. Spiritual authority is like a father to his children. How? And Paul writes, if you want to see this, I think, I think Thessalonians is a great example of this because it, he words this uh, another time. We're going to read more from Thessalonians. It's, it's, this, this tells you a lot of how Paul's heart broke for these people as a father's heart breaks for his children. This is healthy spiritual authority, okay? And so here it is. Here, what's another way? Like, how is this like a father? Because, I mean, he says it here that, verse 11, 1 Thessalonians 2, 11, as you know how we exhorted, comforted, and charged every one of you. As a father does his own children. Fathers are present and engaged and engaged for those under their care. So here's another one that's just a practical way of seeing how does this correlate, Pastor Sean? Apostle, father, pastor, father. How, how does that really work? How do we look at the biological family and we kind of relate that to the spiritual family? It's at the core of a father's heart. Okay, I got three kids, biological. But at the core of a father's heart is this. I am here for you. Okay, like that, that, there it is. Okay, I know that sounds basic, but that is what pastoring is. That is what authority is. I am here for you. 
okay? And here's another way to word it. What I do, think about a father now. What a father does in the rhythm of his life, and if he were to look at his children and they say, like, what does a father do? Here it is. What I do is for you. It's what it is. It's what it is, okay? Here, another correlation here in the word of God is Paul called both. Now, these are biological sons. He called Timothy and Titus sons in the faith, okay? Called them sons, sons in the faith, okay? Now, let's turn to another verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Let's look at this once again. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. And it reads, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. Okay, why don't you have many fathers? Because it costs more to be a father than a teacher. Somebody say amen. Fathers don't live for themselves. That's what this is. True, healthy, biblical, spiritual authority. It, it is men and women in positions of authority that are there not for themselves. They're not there for themselves. They're not there for themselves. This is um, true calling from God to lead in Christian community is, is, is self-denial. That's a father, okay? <laughs> I got three kids. And so my wife and I would tell you, you know, when you start having kids, your life is no longer your own, right? It's not about you. And so why, 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 why is, why are, why is father, why are spiritual fathers rare? Because it costs more to be a father. It costs more. It costs more. It doesn't cost much to be an instructor. Okay. You, he's like, man, you got 10,000 people that are going to teach you something, but you ain't got many fathers that are willing to lay down their life for you. And that, that Jesus models this, right? He says the good shepherd, what? Lays down his life for the sheep. All right, let's look at another one here. I'm gonna move quickly now. First Thessalonians chapter two. Again, first Thessalonians two, seven and eight. Here we go. Here it is. Here's another, here, here, here it is. This is spiritual authority. The family of God, Christian community. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother. Everybody say family. So as a nursing mother cherishes her children. Okay, verse eight. So, affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us, okay? So the family of God is not just about the message of the gospel. Anybody can pick up a Bible and, and preach the message. Hear what I'm saying? But he said, Paul said, I didn't only give you the gospel. It wasn't just, I'm not in your life just to give you a message. I'm not in your life just to give you a sermon. I'm not in your life just to give you five points in a poem. He said, look, man, th th this thing, this church, this Lanaika, I didn't just give you the gospel, but we gave you our own lives. So, so it, it is a life that exudes the quality of the message we preach that makes the difference. We like, you know, every religion in this world has a message, but God for pastors, spiritual leaders, 
It's more than the message alone. Community needs your heart and soul. That's what Paul said. That's what Paul said. Look at your Bible, folks. Look at the Bible. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God. That is our message. But when it comes to community and the family of God and spiritual authority, there is more required of spiritual authority than a Sunday message. Then a sermon series, he said, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls, in one version says, our own lives, because you had become dear to us. This is the family of God in operation. This is spiritual authority doing what they're called to do, not only preaching a word, not only teaching the scripture, but giving your life for these people. Our heart must break for the people we deliver the message to. If all you've got is a message and your heart doesn't break for them, there's a problem. Pastor, man of God, woman of God. Come on now. We, if, you know, I, I've met pastors where, they love to preach and teach, but they ain't trying to get involved in people's lives. And then they start to equate their spiritual gift to something that somehow, for some reason, I think they've taken way too many personality assessments and they've allowed personality assessments to get them out of truly being involved and caring and pastoring people. Come on now. Come on now, somebody say amen. Let's not use personality profiles and as an excuse to avoid sometimes the unpleasant things that come with spiritual leadership and authority. Somebody say amen. Our heart must break for the people we deliver the message to. Let's not just give people the gospel. Let's give them our lives. It's worth it. They are worth it. They are worth it. All right, the next one, my next point is we need the Christ in others. So right in there in Acts chapter two, all right, it says, you know, they, they, they continue steadfastly in what? The apostles doctrine, spiritual authority, the teaching of the word. And um, the next thing was fellowship. And we need the Christ in others. This is the family of God. The uh, fellowship, the word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia, which is a spiritual exchange. Um, this is what it means. It's um, the emphasis of this word is, is two things. It is spiritual. Okay, it is spiritual. I know sometimes we talk about um, fellowship and we kind of use that word a lot or, or community and it, we associate it with kind of social interaction. And it, it, and it obviously it happens in that. But, but really, it's, it's really this mysterious kind of thing. It, it's, it's this exchange we have in the spirit with other believers. It's this true spiritual um, commonality, okay? The emphasis is spiritual fellowship, okay? And it also stresses the relational aspect of the fellowship. So this word koinonia is spiritual and it is relational. It is people, 
sharing in the spirit what God's telling you. Maybe you have a word, maybe it, or maybe it's just the condition of the people of God, their spiritual state, the Christ in them, that by being around them and among them, you are blessed. So we need the Christ in others and they need the Christ in us, okay? This is what it means, koinonia, a participant who mutually belongs and shares in life with others. So this, this, this is what it is. This, is. this is the family of God. This ought to happen, that, that you could be, maybe you're struggling with something, maybe you're walking through something, you get around believers, you get in an environment. I don't care if it's on Zoom, if it's in person, if it's over coffee or tea or lunch or just coming to the house of God, even on the weekend, on a Sunday, and it's, it's, it's the koinonia. It, 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 this, is, this is something in the spirit, the spirit of God, that we are blessed and washed and, and cleansed and, and, and healed and, and encouraged and challenged. I mean, that all those wonderful things that happen to our soul in the company of other believers. It's fellowship, koinonia. Okay, here's the next one. It says they, that uh, there was the breaking of bread. Okay, and I know some uh, theologians and early, um, you know, and historians and stuff, sometimes they associate that with communion. Um, but, but, but um, and I get that, but I believe it's saying not just that or speaking of that because, and if it was, then it's really from a Jewish context because at this point, the church was predominantly Jewish and Jewish-led, okay? So, the, I mean, the church in Jerusalem was a Jewish-led church, and they were still practicing certain things. So communion to them, you know, what we would call the Lord's Supper was actually a Jewish feast, and it was an actual dinner. So if, if that's what they were talking about, it was a literal dinner with food, okay? So, but look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It just kind of goes along with this. Later on in Acts 2, it says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Look at this. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So here's the next point once again, is that life is meant to be enjoyed. Life is meant to be enjoyed. And I believe sometimes we miss this. Sometimes people get into God, they start following the Lord and every thing around the corner is some kind of demon trying to attack them. Every moment is some super intense cause. Everything is just over the top. Every They, they, they over-spiritualize everything. And I believe in some ways it's in innocence and ignorance. Um, but in the early church, you see that there were, there were these, these, these deep, profound spiritual things happening. But in the midst of all of this, that these people were able to kick it, eat some food and enjoy one another's company. And this, 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 this is important that life is meant to be enjoyed. Life is meant to be enjoyed and not everything is spiritual. Not everything is an angel. Not everything is a demon. Not everything, not all of our life is not 
an absolute total spiritual war. Okay. And in the kingdom of God, I believe in our faith and in community, I believe that local church community can bring a balance to life. That, 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 that this thing must be enjoyed. You know, um, here's the, here's the distinction that creation is not evil, right? This natural world is not of the devil. God created it. So it is meant to be enjoyed, okay? And I believe people that maybe come off hyper-spiritual or uber-religious is that maybe it's their fear that these things would begin to try to satisfy them or they're gonna get worldly. And I understand that. Uh, but here's the distinction that this created world is meant to be enjoyed or God would not have created it and he would not have called it good when he created it. But it isn't there to satisfy us. I think we just need to know ourselves, okay, these things in life are meant to be enjoyed, but they aren't meant to satisfy me. Only Jesus satisfies, but everything he's created in this natural world. You know, in, in the context of, 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 of the fruit of the spirit and the standard of holiness, right? That it is meant to be enjoyed. It is meant to be enjoyed because these folks, they had a lot of stuff going on spiritually, powerful stuff happening, but man, they were able to hang out eat some food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Not every, I, I think sometimes people just in their efforts to please God and maybe they have this distorted thing of needing to please others that they hyper-spiritualize and they get confusing and complicated and super deep. And it's like, man, just look at the scripture. They ate, this is Acts 2.46. They ate their food. <laughs> Somebody say that. Anybody like food out there? But they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, hallelujah. And the last thing, last thing on that list there, I'm gonna read Acts again one more time. Acts chapter two, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, spiritual authority. And fellowship, all right, we need the Christ in each other. The breaking of bread, life is meant to be enjoyed and in prayers. And this is my last point, that we're a praying family. I really believe with all of my heart that sometimes even in, in, in you know, I'm a pastor, so I'm around pastors and, 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 you know, trying to learn how to do this thing called pastoring and learning from other churches and even, you know, organizations that have formed in Christendom to help pastors do what they do. And I believe with all of my heart sometimes, um, it's, maybe it's just in our Western world here, that we have so many um, things out there to help pastors how to quote unquote grow their church. But I feel like we're missing some of these just practical things that aren't necessarily about growing the quantity of people in your community. I, 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 I really feel a strong conviction in my heart, my wife and I, of the responsibility of discipling and being a part of people actually growing in their faith. Okay, I'm not against our community growing numerically. I'm not against it, but it is not the North Star. It is not at the top of our prayer list. There are people that have called this place home and I, we feel the weight, the responsibility, and 
we enjoy the journey of discipling and being a part of the individual's spiritual growth. So um, I think we all know this, but prayer is a big deal, all right? And it's on the list here. And, and so we're, we're, we're a praying family, okay? The house of God ought to be a place that people pray and they learn how to pray. And they learn how to pray. That is the family of God. That when people come in, this might all be new, but man, that they, they, they ought to learn how to pray. Christian community ought to be a place where you learn how to pray and it ought to help you have a stronger prayer life. Amen? Hallelujah. We're, we are, we're a praying family. I hope you enjoyed the message. And my prayer is that you will change your world as a result. If you're ever in the LA area, join us for one of our weekend gatherings. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Peace.